0: It is my great privilege to introduce our speaker for today. Today's speaker is Keith Moulton. He and his wife Karen have been serving in Lyon, France with Christar for the last 23 and a half years. They have four kids scattered about the earth, and um, they're a great family to get to know. If you want to spend some time with them, make sure that you visit them this morning while they're here. We send a team over every Christmas time to France to help them with a big dinner. And if you're a hospitable cookie baker sort, that is your kind of trip. It would be a great blessing for them to host you.
1: Well, bonjour. We are excited to be here again, uh, to be with you again after three uh, three years, I guess it's been. So, uh, Keith and Karen Moulton and Jeremy. Let's. If Keith would turn it on, it would work really well. There we go. And Jeremy's here. Jeremy's been in France for eighteen years and a few months. <laughs> uh and Jeremy does take care of, of the children ministry with Karen uh for church and actually he's the walking jungle gym. But uh he's there to fill in anywhere he can and uh is in actually part of the, the um thank you leadership of uh three youth groups that get together. And he and Omar, which his picture will be up here soon. Um uh, run, help run that, that organization. So sometimes we think it's just uh, the couple or just a guy, but we try to do it as a family. And as a father there and parents, there is no greater joy than to see that your children love Jesus. Love Jesus. John said that. Anyway, we'd like to just show you, some of you don't know who we are, well, what our life is like real quickly in France, um, just so you can be a part of, of what's going on in your minds. If you'd like to pray for us on a daily or a weekly basis, that's why we are back here. And we have our prayer cards in the back, and we'd be more than happy to put you on a list so that you can. We work with a group called Christar, and you can see that our mission and our vision statement basically says we want to see people who don't have a natural opportunity to hear about the gospel, to hear about the gospel, usually Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, Chinese, or tribal people, although the French are very, very uh, in need of Christ as well. And then the desire is, once they come to know Christ as Savior, put them into a fellowship group where they can begin uh, worshiping Christ and doing the one another's of the scriptures. So, this is our little motto for the France Maghreb, which means west, or actually it's a word for Morocco in Arabic, but we say where the North Africans will find themselves.
0: We are committed to preaching the message of the cross to the people of the Crescent and the land of the croissant for the purpose of church planting.
1: And the croissants are very, very, very good. <laughs> so what do we do, or why? what, Muslims in France, yes, France is a, city, a country of about 64 million people, 6 million plus Muslims that are in the country. Which means that we have the entire Islamic population of Jordan living in our country. Uh, a lot of people don't understand that's how many people are there. We live in, uh, Lyon with a city of 1.3 to 1.5 million people with anywhere between 150 to 200,000 Muslims. And you can see now we do, we are very thankful. The evangelical believers have moved from 0.6 to now 0.8. Actually, it was 0.68 to 0.8. And part of that is because of, uh, of the, the youth that are starting to say we want to do something about Jesus Christ. So don't let anyone discourage you, young people. Once Jesus is actually all you want to live for, it's amazing what he will do through you and through us. What do we do over there? We are the team leaders of what we call the LCP, Leone Church Plant Team. That is our team, and I think there's only three of them left over there. One of them is about to have a baby uh, next week, so uh, there's about two of them running around right now. And we're excited to get back there. We'll be going home uh, on the 23rd or so of September. Luffar, which means the lighthouse. This is um, our ministry center. It's three thousand three hundred three thousand feet square square, f- feet. square feet. There we go. Uh, ministry center. And uh, Karen, you can take it away from the kitchen there.
0: Yes, we spend a lot of time in the kitchen because the primary ministry that we have in France is hospitality. The North Africans have have taught us so much about opening your heart and your home, and we put this into practice as well as we reach back out to them. So a lot of the activities that you'll see pictures about are things that go on at the ministry center in order to reach out to the families of our community, the North African uh, families. This is a picture of our church, a little bit different because Keith and I, well, you might see, we were celebrating our 50th birthdays together this year, so we threw a 50s party. We had a lot of fun. But this is our little church group. You'll see many, many different nationalities that are represented there. Um, all of our worship services are in French and Arabic, which is a different flair uh, in order to be able to speak to the heart language of the people we work with. So all kinds of activities from having women in during the school hours so that we can have craft classes, cooking classes, just sit around uh, drinking tea and coffee, talking about marriage relationships, raising kids according to God's principles, or uh, this was a candle making event that we did that we're doing every year now in order to bring families into the ministry center because we have gospel literature. We also have the opportunity to share our testimonies. Now, for us to share our testimonies as Westerners is very normal to them. What's different is when our North African believers have an opportunity to share their testimonies because to most Muslims, to be Arab is to be Muslim. And when they find and encounter someone whose life has been radically transformed by Jesus Christ and who has found love and forgiveness and peace and joy through Jesus Christ, that speaks volumes and it has such an impact. So you'll see different activities, whether it's a Ladies Dance Night. Dancing is still a very, very big part of the North African culture. We don't allow the men to come in. This is just the women that get together. And uh, we share a part of that cultural event of dancing the folk uh, folk dances. Uh, what you see now is our Easter service that we had again. It was in French. trans, or This actually was in Arabic, translated back into French then. And the group of believers, just the joy on their faces as they're able to worship Christ in their heart language. Kids' clubs are also a big part of what we do. Jeremy helps out a lot, as Keith said, with that. We have regular events of children's clubs, but also a kids' carnival, which we completely clean out the ministry center and set up games. Some of these games, actually, Pastor Brian painted. Uh, we had a we're team gonna, from we're New get Life. To those.
1: I wanted to stop here just real quickly because you might notice somebody in that picture. Well, you might notice a bunch of people, yeah, but specifically places. Beth. So she's been coming out, and you've been coming out uh, for numbers of years now. And uh, I would ask that you would seriously pray uh, and consider praying for them on a daily basis that they could get out to be with us as soon as possible because we are in desperate need of their assistance and their love for Christ in our part of the world.
0: Yeah, and we'll plug the team again that's coming out December 6th through the 20th. It is a lot about baking and cooking, but there's a lot more to it than that even that everybody can be a part of. So we really would encourage you to meet with those people who are uh, in charge of setting up the teams this year. So the kids, uh, I love this photo here, Samira on the left side was sharing her testimony with the woman in the middle, Hayet, uh, who has been coming many, many times because they're, both of their children are in the, the kids' corral that we started this year. The lady on the right, first time in the center, heard, she was eavesdropping on the testimony time, So curious that Semiha got a chance to share with both of these ladies at this event. And that's what it's all about. It's living Christ. It's living Jesus on a day-to-day basis, touching lives, rubbing shoulders, and letting them know that Jesus Christ is for every person. He died for all of us, not just Westerners, but also the North Africans, and he loves them very dearly. So you'll see a lot of the activities that we do with people who do know Christ and others who don't know him yet but are in the process of believing.
1: It's all about spending time with people, getting to know them, not just sharing something, saying, hey, believe this, but spending time with them and allowing them to see that we're not perfect. Mm -hmm. But we do love Jesus, and Jesus loves us.
0: We've also put together a cookbook. Now this is full of French, Mediterranean, North African, Middle Eastern recipes. Most of these um, recipes were not written down anywhere. When you see that kitchen up there, we asked our ladies to come in and make some of their favorites. And North Africans not using recipes would grab a pinch of this and a handful of that. So when they grabbed a handful of something, I grabbed a measuring cup. They poured it into there. We wrote it down, wrote out the process. So it's really fun. There's a lot of personal tidbits. The main thing, though, is the, the first 16 pages of this talk about how the uh, ministry center is being used, and you 'll read about testimonies of people that you've seen up on the screens this morning, how God is transforming their lives, others who are not yet. So it is a prayer tool, and we really encourage you to get one of these They're in the foyer after the, the ceremony or the service here. Um, to get it, read through it, pray over it, be involved, and get a hunger and a burden for the North African people who we love dearly. There's so much still to be done, and it's only through prayer that God is going to work and that his Holy Spirit will move among these people.
1: How to pray for us? They're there. Number one, that the Spirit of God would bring an understanding of who Jesus Christ is and repentance in the hearts of everyone in France, specifically in Lyon. Um, the indifference sometimes is deadening. People just don't care, or they will listen, they will respect it, they will think that is very good for you. I'm not interested. That's the French. The Muslim will say, we have Muhammad, you have Jesus, and let it be. What do we do about the claims of Christ? So pray for that, for true repentance to come. We'll be talking a little bit in just a few minutes, living the truth we already know, and you'll get a little bit more of an understanding of why I'm asking for that. People are watching what we say and how we live. And then that alliance, or alliance as you see, that's the name of our church, would actually live the one another's. Reconciliation does not exist in Islam as you understand it from God reconciling us through Christ to himself. It's just God's choice. So when we try to say, ask for forgiveness and be reconciled to your brothers and sisters, it's a very difficult concept to try to grasp, let alone live, so pray that they would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that and that some of our leadership leaders right now that are in leadership development would be able to stay in Lyon so the church would continue to to progress. So I hope that gives you a little bit of understanding of what we're doing in France. We're there we are uh we've been there as as was said for 23 and a half years. Thank you for what you've been doing with us since probably that entire time because our colleagues I believe you you are supporting as well and have been praying for them. Uh he's now the the one who is responsible for Christar here in the United States. And uh, we just like to have a time now where, where we think about who really is Jesus Christ and what is our response to that. So Karen's going to sing, and then we'll look at Luke chapter 14. So if you want to get your Bibles ready, we'll look at Luke 14 as soon as Karen gets done with this uh, song that we appreciate muchly. Well, I like the 11 o'clock time because in France, we say church starts at 10 with coffee, and then at 10.30, we're going to start the service. And for those of you that visit us in France, you realize that we get going about quarter to eleven. So seeing as we start at eleven, we're going to pretend like we're back in France. And usually, if we have a meal together, we'll finish someplace around three. If we, uh, excuse me, six at night. If we don't, it's three o'clock. So I hope we're in for the good long term and we're going to be, when we're done, we're done. No, just kidding. Just kidding. I realize I have to adapt to different cultures. Before I start, before we start, let me say, if I may, one thing. Islam and Muslims are not our enemy. We only have one. His name is Satan. And our media is trying to pit us as believers against people who are in desperate need of Jesus Christ. Muslims are not our enemy. And just like people that are coming from many different nationalities or religious backgrounds, there are people who are confused and who are in deep need of the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. And he said, you, if you know him, are my witnesses. So please, as we're looking at this together today, talk to people who might look a little different than you, who might be coming from a different uh, background than you are, and let them know of exactly what Karen's saying. Christ means everything, and I pledge my trust to him and him alone, regardless of what comes down the pike. Let's pray before we begin. Our Father, you are great. You are phenomenal. And I ask that you would speak your words through me. I thank you for the things that you have been teaching me. I thank you that you are faithful to yourself and you are always good. And so I ask for your assistance this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Excuse me. Islam is not just a religion. I don't know if you know that or not, we always talk about the religion of Islam. It's not just a religion. Islam is an all-encompassing political, economical, social, religious entity. And so very often what happens is we hear the stories of a person who is ripped out of Islam to come to know Christ as Savior. I think you've heard those stories, and some of them are phenomenal, and they should be. They're, they're illustrations of the goodness of God. And yet, when we hear about them either being kicked out of their family or beaten or or even sometimes uh, not just ridiculed, but possibly even they lose their lives, sometimes we have this idea of, wow, it takes an awful lot for some of these people to come to know Christ as Savior. I'm sure glad that that doesn't happen here. And we can be thankful that we have the freedoms that we have in the West we come from, from France. France has the same freedoms. We have freedom to believe and to practice the religion as we wish. And yet, when we come to Luke chapter 14, let's look at what Jesus said about those who say, who want to say, who desire to say, who, who are followers of Jesus Christ. So let's start in verse 25. A large crowd was following Jesus. Now, during that time, he's a pretty cool dude. I mean, we're seeing dead people raised from the dead. We're seeing blind people being able to see. He's after the Pharisees. He's after everybody. Jesus stood for truth, not tradition. And then he claimed, I am the truth. But let's go a little farther. A large crowd was following Jesus, and he turned around to them and said, If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everything, everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, wife and children... Brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's a person who only started a building because he couldn't afford to finish it. So sometimes we say, for them that's good, but for me, I don't have to. For them it's evident because that's what's going on in their lives. But where are we? Jesus did not say, if you live in a difficult situation. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, everything else is secondary. Now, you have Walmart in this world. Walmart is number one in its category. We have Carrefour in our world, and Carrefour is second, but it's down here. That's what we're talking about. Our allegiance to the Lamb is so first that everything else seems to be hate. That's what Jesus demands. That's what Jesus says. And so it's applicable for all of us. And so when we come into this thing, do I live the truth I know? At 17, 16 and 17, we walked into a different type of church. I knew the answers. Eschatology, not a problem. You want to talk about post, mid, pre, whatever, we got it down. At 17 on, I had the answers. I love that kind of stuff. It was really cool for me to, 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 to study and to, to know that thing, to know those things, to lead somebody to Christ, not a problem. But was my life living in accordance with what I proclaimed? No, it wasn't. And I felt bad about the things that I didn't like in my life, and yet I was trying to get rid of it, trying to get rid of it, and so don't do this because that's sin, don't do this because that's sin. I understood it, and I wanted to stay away from it. But who is this God that we proclaim? Who is Jesus? We'll get into this a little bit more. Am I being attracted to him so that it's no longer a question? When I come into the church, maybe there's some things that you might be seeing in the church or things that you've ex- experienced in your own life that have some discrepancies with what we know is true and how we live. For instance, we know that we are forgiven before a holy God. He is perfect. And our small act of disobedience in the garden said, You are out of my presence. You can no longer enter into my presence until the sacrifice was been given. Amazing. He gave Him, gave Adam and Eve skins of animals. So I am completely, 100% forgiven. We sing about that blood. We cherish the blood and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yet, when somebody offends me in the church, I have a major problem of trying to let that go. As if I can say to God, well, you don't understand what they did. Who am I talking to? And yet, I give myself the right because I say your offense is so great, I will be disobedient to God. And his word, because I know that I'm supposed to forgive one another. Or how about uh, we know that it's wrong to talk about our brothers and sisters. Let me tell you what John just did. Isn't that terrible? He offended me. Matthew 5, Matthew 18 says, if I think he's got a problem with me, or if I have a problem with him, I am to go and talk to him alone and fix the problem. Why? Because it's reconciliation that we're living for. So why do I share prayer requests with five or six or ten people to figure out if I'm doing this thing correctly? Or to pray for me that I would have courage to do that. They don't have to know the situation. I need to be obedient. Ask God with me that I will be obedient. I don't want to be obedient. That's good. That's a confession. Because I want to be obedient. Or how about the fact that we know that we are going to have eternal life? One of the greatest joys about being a parent is knowing that your children know Christ. That is really cool. And yet one of the number one problems I have when I recruit is trying to get people to say it's okay for me to let my kids go to a foreign country to raise my grandkids in a foreign country for the cause of Christ. Because for some reason we bought into this thing that these 50 or 60 or 70 years that we have with adult children is more important than all of eternity. And yet we proclaim that we have eternal life and so we know that a billion years from now we're still partying. Where's the problem? I know something to be true. Am I living that truth? Because the world is looking at us, saying, you're proclaiming this stuff, but are you at least trying to live it? Because that's giving authenticity to Jesus Christ. We look forward to that one day when Christ finally says, come home, and we walk into His presence, and we're enamored at the glory of God, and yet we're deathly afraid of dying. Why? People ask me all the time, Keith, is it safe in France? Who cares? Who cares? Well, my kids care. My wife cares. I I realize, I realize that I'm not trying to be smart, but we have eternal life. I just get there before you do. Or you get there before me. And it's amazing if you've been around people who, who have a loved one who's about to go, to, to go home. You almost want to say, it's okay. Go home. I'll be there. Probably pretty quick, because it's only been two days since Jesus been on the earth. If a thousand, days is, a thousand years is like a day with the Lord, right? We're all kind of bumping into each other, getting into heaven. We think they're looking down at us. They don't have time. They're out of time. And that's going to be a cool time. When we're no longer concerned about what's, what we wear here. And my North African friends tell me all the time, you guys over there have watches. We have time. Because people are more important than the agenda. Jesus said that the Father, that the people around us in John chapter 17, Jesus said, The world will know two things. Number one, Father, that you sent me. Number two, that you love them by one thing. By the fact that they are one, Father, as you and I are one. Can you imagine in the Garden of Gethsemane Jesus saying, uh, Father, we're going to degree, a degree to disagree on this one? There's got to be a different way. Because that's a lot a lot of hassle there. I'm not really into this. And yet we have divisions in our homes. We have divisions in our marriages. We have divisions in our churches. We have divisions in our country. And yet Jesus said, My followers will be set apart, and the world will know who I am, and that God loves them by my kids getting along. And acting as if they are one and no longer A billion. You've probably heard it said because I, I didn't realize it was in a book until I came back this time because I don't get to hear everything or read everything you guys hear or read, that Christ is coming back for his bride, not his harem. Amazing. How do I look at my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ? Are they my brothers and sisters? And if they are, then let's at least get to the point where we can love one another because of Jesus, because he's worth it. It seems to me that when I look at how, how, the truth that I know, the way that I'm living, it's almost like I've gone to the supermarket. Has consumerism allowed me the privilege to think, I like this part about you, God, that's eternal life. We're going to put that one there in the pocket, because that's really cool. But this thing about serving one another, I don't mind people serving me, but come on, there's a limit. And I put that one in the other, and I, and I say, in fact, let's keep that one on the shelf. I really love the fact that God is, that Jesus is with me, that he cries with me, and that He knows my in my inner heart. Forgive, take a risk. Mm, you got to understand. That's just not how You made me. Adam tried that; it didn't work for him. Remember, He said it's because of the person You gave me, the woman You gave me. That's why I sinned. It didn't work for Adam. And yet we constantly say, "Well, that's my personality. Well, that's just the way I am. I am. Or that's the way I was brought up." I'm from the state of New York, Now the city of New York, and New Yorkans have this thing about them that they're kind of crashed. And ah, I'm New Yorkan. When do we ever have the right to blame God for the way that I'm acting? That's what I'm doing. If you're listening to me this morning, you see I'm not talking about surface things. I want to go to the heart. Why? Because you and I live from our hearts. That's why we say things and then don't do it. That's why at 17, I wanted to have the right answers. I wanted to see people come to know Christ as Savior, but I still wanted to have my quote-unquote fun. And why at 50, I'm seeing that it's still there. They're just getting a little closer. And I want them to come into complete agreement. So the two questions I have for us this morning, number one is, do you love God? Do I love God primarily for who He is or primarily for what He does for me? Let me ask that question again. Do you, do I love God primarily for who He is or for what He does for me? And I don't know how many times I've said Jesus will make your life better. I didn't realize that I was in that what He does for me mentality. And slowly but surely over the last couple of years I'm seeing this greatness about who Jesus and who God really is. Because the second question that goes along with that is how much is Jesus worth? At what point will you and I say, that's far enough. I'm not going there anymore. I cannot be obedient anymore. I will not take that risk anymore. I will not forgive one more time. Because what we value the most determines the way we live. So do we see God as absolute perfection? Do we see Him as good? Not just when He responds to my prayers in the direction that I've been praying. Do you not have people that even in the last month that came to you and said, Oh, God was so good. Do you remember me asking what you should say after that three years ago? When wasn't he good? He is good. He is never bad. The Muslim says God created good and evil and can do whatever he wants and he's outside of mankind. No one can take him into account. And yet our God says, I am always good, always perfect. I never fail. I know what I'm doing. And Keith Moulton has a problem surrendering his will to that authority. I'm just being honest. But yet I find when I do, that's when he meets me with his love and his mercy and his understanding, and he gives me direction. It's when I stay in rebellion against that submission or that surrender that I think I'm doing all right, and I'm not. Do we see him as absolute purity? Purity absolutely holy, absolutely sovereign? Or do I get to tell him, as my friend said, I, he said, I came to know Christ as Savior about seven, or about uh, eight years ago, and I said, there's the chair. Sit down, and I'll tell you when to move. I'm really glad I'm in your family. He's, he's saying this in front of our entire church, the people you saw up there. And he said, uh, but now I've completely surrendered. So one guy says, well, then did you really know him? He said, no. I liked him. I wanted him to be a part of my life. But there was absolutely no surrender. He had to do it my way. He said, now I'm surrendered. So I said, hmm, that's very interesting. When you were baptized back then, were you baptized as a believer or just somebody who wanted to Christ? He said, as somebody who wanted Christ. I said, would you like to be baptized? He said, yes. So we had a baptism the next Sunday. It was really cool. The church went nuts. They thought it was great. Why? Because finally somebody realized it's a matter of surrender. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, surrender everything. That's pretty tough. That's pretty tough. Until we see the beauty of who He is. He is love. He is mercy. He is grace. I have that from time to time. I get it right once in a while, but not all the time. He gets it right all the time. All the time. The Holy Spirit is so cool. He knows how to do it right every time. I try to play the Holy Spirit, and I mess up from time to time. I'm a little too too forceful. I'm a little too lenient. Laissez-faire, as we say in French, or laissez-faire. Do we see him as wisdom, omnipotent, holy, and perfect? He gives us that, that invitation in Psalm chapter 37. He says, come and taste and see how good God is. Yes, he is just, and his justice and his mercy work together. That's called holiness. Yes, he is love but he will never go against what he said, and he will not allow sin eternally in his presence. Do we see him in his glorified? Do we see God in all of his glory? Do we see the angels that are flying around in an immense location? And they're running around and they're calling as we sung out, Holy, holy, holy. And the 24 elders are are falling down at the feet of God and saying, you are worthy to receive everything. There are beings, as we see it in, in, uh, I'm talking on Isaiah, but Ezekiel talks about it as well, and so does John. And all of this fanfare is going on in front of God. Do we see him high and lifted up? Or do we see him as a person who's just trying to make my life miserable because I can't have fun? In one aspect, I see God in His perfection and in His love and in His grace and in His goodness, and I say, I want to be there. The other side says, you know, I prayed for this for 20 years, God, and this is not what I expected. Somehow, sorry, either I did something wrong or you got it wrong. And I've been doing the best I can, so I'm kind of questioning if you got it right. Have you been there? I have. I'm just trying to be honest. Not on the outside. Nobody knew about this stuff. I wouldn't talk about it. You might think I'm a bad missionary. But I didn't realize that my identity was not, if I was a good missionary or a bad missionary, my identity was in the person of Jesus Christ. I did not realize that I cannot convince anybody that Jesus is God. I cannot convince anybody of their need for Jesus Christ. Even though I preached Matthew chapter 14, 13, excuse me, 16, Where Jesus says, flesh in blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. I thought, I just got to say it right or say it enough times and they'll finally come to know Christ as Savior. You called me out here, God. And God says, I'm the one that changes the heart. And when I change the heart, the whole house goes down. Because they know it's me and not you, Keith. My identity was not in Christ. My identity was in, in my education. My identity is what other people thought about me. My productivity was in what I could do. And then I love to control things. I talked to you about this the last time we are here. And now we're moving on to a different aspect of how good God is, and it's okay to let go. And let God be in 100% control. And it's okay for the body to come and heal, be the healing process of your heart with Jesus. That's okay. That's why they're there. And it was so cool because when that person said, I want to be baptized, the whole church broke out, and they thought it was cool. Instead of condemning him for saying he was a Christian for all this time and wanted to be in Christ. He laid out his heart on the table. Christ met him there, met us there, and it was phenomenal. Do I see God in that way? Or is he my genie? If I pray a little harder, if I go to church, if I do the memory verses, if I serve God, then God will give me what I want. One, he's my genie. The other side, he is sovereign, almighty God who meets my needs. Yes, God allows us to pray, and yes, God answers our prayer, and yes, God is excited to be able to do that and wants to do that in accordance to His will. But when I start saying, you've got to do it for me, we got a problem. I'll trust you, God, if I know the outcome. Can you at least tell me if it's going to be worth it? That's not trust. That's Control. Yeah, but I just gotta, I just gotta see a sign so I know we're going in the right direction. We don't see that here. We see, trust me. Obey me. And you'll find out how good it really is. That he is always faithful. And he gets it right every time. And admittedly, there are some things that I'm just gonna have to wait till I stand before him to understand. I can't. And I've lost a lot of time trying to figure out how to explain it. And now I'm just saying, I can't explain it. But I do know that he's always good. He's always faithful. And he's always right. And he is beautiful. And lovely. And drawing me into himself. And there I find love and contentment. Not on my terms, on his terms. Do we see Christ for all he really is? He is not our genie. Let's look at Numbers 23. God is not a man So he does not lie. He's not human. So he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Deuteronomy. The Lord our God is a devouring fire. He is a jealous God. Jealous of what? Of our worship. Why? Because he's perfect. If I'm jealous of you telling me you're a good kid, I'm egotistical. He's not because he is perfection. There is no other place. If he was to love anything more than himself, he'd be an idolater. But we love God because he's greater than we are. Isaiah says, from eternity to eternity, I am God. No one can snatch, snatch anyone out of my hand. No one can undo what I have done. When we come to Jesus, let's go to John chapter one. Who is this Jesus? My friend that I'm going to high five when I get to heaven? Probably, but not right away. Why? Because Jesus is the one that said, light exists. And it existed according to John chapter 1. Everything was created by him. The fanfare of heaven, as we have said, and he says this in John chapter 17, glorify me with the glory that I had before the world began. And according to Philippians chapter 2, he took all of that right, all of that glory, and said, I'm going to put it over here, and I'm going into humanity, and I'm going to show them what perfection looks like. This is perfection. This is obedience without any question whatsoever. Father, if there is another way, fine. But if not, not a question, I'm going. And I talked to a young man recently, and he said, my parents have been in this kind of business, and they're looking at me to go in the business. It is extremely lucrative, and it's something I have lived all of my life for. This is what I want to do. This is what I was made to do, and everything in it is perfect. And we were And Karen and I were having breakfast with he and his wife, and he said, and then they looked at me, and they said, there's going to come a day. There's going to come a day. Don't know how far it is when we're going to have to ask you, and we're asking it now rather than then, is your allegiance to us, or is your allegiance to your faith, And then he went back and he said, you got to understand, everybody's expecting this from me. And this is what I have been grown up and built myself into. This is where I want to go. My wife and my children will be taken care of. I have no worries whatsoever. And I said, I know what you're saying. And the struggle is there. But you already know the answer. There is no question. Don't ever question my allegiance to what you think or Jesus Christ. I have only one option is Jesus. He said, I know. And I could feel the wrestling going on in his heart when we talked to him for over two hours. And I said, I can only ask that you do what our Father says to do. There is no question to obedience when he is the greatest value of my life. And I had to get off of myself and what I wanted and how I wanted to see even my kids grow up. I had to get off all of that and get on to him and find his goodness and his greatness. And that's why I asked the question, primarily, because we love him for what he does for us too. But primarily, do I love him for who he is or for what he does for me? And after having a major, major drawback in the church, this was a couple of years ago, but this, the, the question still is there. And being in tears and saying, how do you keep pushing through when you feel like everybody's gone against you and the things that you were living for are falling apart? How do you keep on going? I'm asking for another a missionary who was in a, something similar to what we had lived through. And he looked over at me and he said, Keith, how much is Jesus worth? Whether we like it or not, one day we said it, every knee will bow. Lord willing, many will bow because they want to. And let me take you out 150 years from right now, because we'll probably all be dead by then. By the way, we all know that, right? We're all dying. Sorry if that's news. Um, we are. Even with new medicine, we're going to push it out 150 years. And we stand before him, and you know where you have allowed yourself to sin. You know where you've allowed yourself to say, "I believe this, and this is how I live, and that's okay." Unless, of course, my kids are watching, and then I got to get up a little bit higher. I've done that. It's wrong when we stand before the one with the nail-pierced hands in the side. And he says, Keith, I'm glad you're here. That's when we're going to have a lot of questions as to why I wasn't living what I knew at that point. In studying and looking at these things, then I come up with the question. You're going to see it in your notes. What do you value more? God for who He is or the fact that He'll do stuff for me? And what I didn't realize is that yes, it is sin and yes, it is wrong and yes, we need to get rid of it. However, what I wasn't realizing is they were keeping me from enjoying who God is and obedience to Him that's absolutely phenomenal and even more phenomenal is that for all, all all means all and that's all all means. I know I've said that at least twice here. All means all, and that's all all means. But according to the scriptures, all of eternity, I am rewarded for obedience. So what it's doing is I'm hanging on to these disobedient things, these sins that are holding me from enjoying who Christ is. Do I see his beauty, his grandeur, his, his loveliness? Or is it just something I want to believe and something I do on Sundays and sometimes during the week once in a while? That's where it's at. This is eternity, and that's why Jesus said, This is, I am who is at and where the buck stops. It's me, guys. I'm truth. What is it about the beauty of Christ that I yet don't understand so I will not forgive? I will not let go of of hurts. I will continue to harbor those things in my heart and therefore miss the goodness of God so that I hang on to disobedience to him and is keeping me from enjoying Christ and his perfect will for my life. I'd like to read a story to you, something that I found that's a little bit a part of my world. It happened a long time ago. But it shows, I think, some of the great bifurcations, at least in my life, as I'm looking back at these lives saying, wow, this person was enamorated, enamored by Jesus Christ. This person understood the sovereignty of God. This person wanted Jesus more than anything else. At 22 years of age, Perpetua had been arrested and imprisoned. Accused of a serious crime, she had confessed to being a Christian or a follower of Jesus. For several weeks, she had been in a city jail. And as the days went by, her father had hoped that he might persuade her to change her mind and so secure her release. But time was running out, and she showed no sign of yielding, but rather stated as firmly as ever that she was resolved to follow Christ. What more could her father do? An honorable man an upright citizen of Carthage, modern-day Tunis. He was well-known in the most respectable circles and caused offense to no one, but he now faced shame and humiliation all in the cause of his perverse, rebellious daughter. Perpetua wrote in her diary, When the games approached, my father came to me worn with trouble and began to pluck out his beard and throw himself on his face and curse his years. Perpetua was not alone in herself. She had her baby boy, no more than a few weeks old. And she was thankful for this. But the baby was a further grief to the old man. Consider your little son who cannot live without you, he said to her. Lay aside your pride and don't ruin us all. Amazing, the world still tells us that. Jesus isn't worth it. And Perpetua grieved for the child who must indeed live without her. She prayed for him that he too, as he grew, would know the way of truth and not fear to follow it. That's confidence in the sovereignty of God. Then there was Felicitas, a dear friend. Felicitas was afraid, but not of death. She was afraid that she would be left behind. Even the Roman Empire did not execute pregnant women. And Felicitas was eight months with child. She came to Perpetua and their friends, and they began to pray. And immediately their prayers were answered. Her labor pains began. She cried out, and one of the guards laughed. If you cry out at this, what will you say when you're thrown to the beasts? Listen to this. Now I suffer what I suffer, she replied. But at that time, another will be with me. Who will bear my pain because I am suffering for his sake? She gave birth to a little girl. Three days later, the child was an orphan. Perpetuous heart went out to her loving father. She wished she could please him, but she knew Christ as he did not. If she denied the truth, would that, she wondered, really be of help to him? In the end, surely it would only deceive him. She must show him the way of Christ, whatever happened, and pray for him to understand. In a dream, asking God what was going to happen, she saw a narrow golden ladder set up from earth to heaven, guarded by fierce beasts at the foot and hedged in by sides of weapon of war. She saw in her dream satyrus one of her three Christian men that were in prison with her. He started to climb the ladder and she followed, treading on the head of a beast and stepped on the first rung. As she reached the top, satyrus called to her, said, Perpetua, I'm waiting for you. Joining him there, she found herself in a meadow where a shepherd sat milking his flock, surrounded by figures robed in white, the shepherd reached out and offered her a small cake of cheese. She took it with both hands and the white robed company said, Amen. At which she awoke with a taste of sweetness still in her mouth. She felt sure that the shepherd was their savior, Jesus, who would soon, wel- he would soon welcome her, them to the beautiful meadow where they would taste the sweetness of, of, of God's love. When it came time for Perpetua to be questioned publicly by the authorities, her father crept as close as he could. Holding out her child to her, he cried out, Take pity on your baby. The judge could not stop, could not help being moved at the sight. And so he urged her to draw back before it was too late. Spare the, your father's white hairs. Listen to this. Spare the tender years of your child. Just offer a sacrifice for the well-being of the emperor and go free. Just be cool like we're cool and it's okay. You can be Christian. Just overlook this thing one time and it's okay. I cannot, she replied. Are you a Christian, a follower of Jesus? I am, she said firmly. She could not deny the truth. And she could not deceive her family. In that crowd, there was a young man, a lawyer named Tertullian. He wrote, The Blood of the Christians is seed. This holy seed was destined to yield an astonishing harvest. So on, a, on March seventh, two hundred and three, Perpetua, Felicitas, and their friends were let out into the public arena. At, la, at least, at last, excuse me, the beasts, enraged by hunger and the goadings of their captors, were turned loose. The three men were savagely torn by leopards and bears. Perpetua and Felicitas were wrapped and tangled in a net. And as they sang psalms of joy and faith in God, they were thrown before a maddened cow, which gored them and tossed them cruelly. Stand firm in the faith, she urged those that were looking looking on, and and love one another, and may our martyrdom not be for you a cause of shame. Then she rose, she, she got up and went back into the arena. Puddins, who was a soldier who had believed in Jesus Christ, due to their testimony in jail, Uh, Saturus was talking to him And he said Now believe with your whole heart Farewell and be mindful of my faith And let not these things disturb you But rather strengthen you The crowd had seen enough And so they asked that the soldiers be dispatched The youth that was appointed to kill Perpetua was was, was, uh, Was just a young gladiator And so he fumbled nervously And stabbed her ineffectively She took hold of his sword Steadied it against her own breast With her own hands Finally, her soul was set free. Jesus turns to the large crowd, and he says, if you want to be my follower, my disciple, someone who claims to love me, you must hate everyone else by comparison, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. But the same person said, and if you ever have to suffer for my sake, if you ever do this, you will receive 100-fold where you are now, and eternal life to come. My friends, Jesus is worth it all for who he is. And it's amazing that in his grace, he actually responds to my prayers, and yet he does, because I stand before you and I say the only thing that this kid has ever deserved in all of his life is hell. Praise God, there's Jesus. And praise God, God is a God who He said He is. And He is faithful. And He has saved me. And He has promised me eternal life. Let's pray. Our Father, as we see these things, and we hear these things, speak to our hearts. Give us the ability to, to, to uh, live the truth that we know. To see Your beauty. To see Your greatness. To see Your goodness to crave You even more than we already do. Glorify Your Son, I ask in Jesus' name.